Good morning. Join me in prayer, will you? Father, thank you for the grace that has reached us. Grace given by you through your Son, the Lord Jesus, to the undeserving. Father, as we come to your word now, we are grateful that your word speaks to us in fresh and relevant ways and that we can apply it in our lives. Lord, let us be eager to do that. I pray that our heart's desire would be to live out our faith in such a way that you are glorified and that others are reached and brought to a knowledge of the Savior, to a relationship with you. And so guide us now as we look at your word, please, in Jesus' name, amen. One of the exciting things about living in downtown Janesville, as we do, uh, is that you never know who you're going to run into. Uh, our apartment building has a row of reserved parking in the city parking ramp. And uh, the front entrance to our apartment building is, uh, is down the block from that ramp, uh, past Wiggy's Saloon, and, uh, and then right on uh, Milwaukee Street. And, uh, and so as we go from the parking ramp to the front of our apartment building, Tina and I are often asked for money by people that we run into. What do you do in a time like that? We want to show compassion. Jesus showed compassion to us. That's the heart of the gospel. Uh, that God doesn't help those who help themselves. He helps those who can't help themselves. That's the wonder of the grace of God. Uh, and so we want to show compassion to people as God showed compassion to us. And we also want to show wisdom. So what do you do in a moment like that when somebody comes up to you on the street and asks you for money? Well... We could take them into Wiggy's saloon and buy them a meal. We could invite them up to our apartment for supper. We do have the financial means to help them out. We could give them money. In fact, we could even make sure we have some cash in our wallets so that we're prepared for moments like that. What do you do? You might say, well, it's dangerous to do some of those things for a number of reasons, and, and that is true could be physically dangerous, could encourage uh, some harmful behaviors, could lead them to spend your money on wrong things. That's why I say we need to respond not only with compassion, but also with wisdom. Is it always a good idea to meet immediate needs? Does helping sometimes hurt? You can't help everyone. How do you decide who to help? Those are important questions for us to grapple with as we think about responding to the needs around us as we engage our culture for Christ. And the issue isn't new to our century. There have always been people who seem to need help. One of the neediest groups of people who show up in the Bible, both Old Testament and New, are widows. Widows, that was the need at hand when Paul wrote to Timothy. Timothy. 
There were a lot of widows in first century Palestine, as evidenced by the passage we're going to look at here in First Timothy, also by the passage in Acts chapter 6 that was read a moment ago. In first century Palestine, life expectancy at birth was 35 years. 35 years. Now, that was due in part to a high infant mortality rate. Um, And if you made it to young adulthood, odds were fairly high that you might die in military service if you were a man or in childbirth if you were a woman. But if you could get past all of that, you might live to see 70. Most died much earlier than that. A lot of husbands would die in war. A lot would die in work accidents, and husbands then, like husbands now, are often outlived by their wives. And so there were lots of widows, and a widow in first century Palestine had none of the safety nets around her that we have today. Insurance policies, social security, marketable job skills, that sort of thing. So that's the context of our passage for today. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 3 to 16. If you haven't opened to that passage yet, I'd encourage you to do that now. 1 Timothy 5, starting at verse 3. Paul takes 14 verses to talk about care of widows. We need to understand that the church in Ephesus wasn't wealthy. Uh, To try to meet all the needs of all the widows would take more than all the resources that the church had to offer. So what to do? How is Timothy to deal with this overwhelming need? Paul establishes for him some parameters that show both compassion and wisdom. Two main parameters. First, a widow's family was to be the first line of defense in meeting her needs. And second, not everyone would qualify for assistance. Those are the two basic parameters. Now, we don't have a lot of poverty-stricken widows around us. I've known a good number of widows in my day. Most of them are doing okay financially. Widowhood has not plunged them into poverty. But we do have other people around us, people like the ones Tina and I often meet between the parking ramp and our front door, who aren't doing well financially. And in fact, there are enough of them that our resources would be quickly depleted if we tried to meet the needs of all of them. And so the parameters Paul sets up for dealing with the needs of widows in his day can be helpful to us as we think about how to help the people around us who are in financial need. Let's look at the parameters that he sets up. First parameter is genuine need. Genuine need. Verses 3 and 4 and then dropping down to verse 8. So starting at verse 3, honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. Dropping down to verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Genuine need. Paul inserts a really interesting phrase in verse 3. Widows who are truly widows. 
And then he repeats it in verse five, and then again in verse 16. Widows who are truly widows. What's he mean by that? Well, verse five tells us widows who are all alone. That is, they don't have any family there to help them. That's what he means by widows who are truly widows. And what Paul proposes is this. Those who have family get their needs met by the family. Uh, the family would be the first line of need meters. In other words, uh, widows who are truly widows are people who have no family to help. And what Paul proposes is, is that they get their needs met by the family. And Paul gives some reasons in verse 4 why this is good. The first one is this is faith in action. Uh, this is a way to show godliness. There's that word again. We've seen it a number of times already. It shows up nine times here in 1 Timothy. Godliness. Um, it it um, refers to faith in action. Uh, a Godward life. Uh, it's shown in chapter 3 in uh, verse 16, in the total yieldedness of the Lord Jesus to his Father's will. It's, it's a totally Godward life, a life totally dedicated to him, one that lives out um, its faith. And, and we want to see that yieldedness growing in us as we learn to walk by faith ourselves. Meeting the needs of a family member provides us then an opportunity to live out our faith. And we know that faith that doesn't show up in life is really no faith at all. There's another reason given also in verse four why this is a good thing for families to do, and that is that it provides mom with a little ROI, a little return on investment. Think back to the times mom took care of you. Uh, when you were small, when you were helpless, when you were hurting, when you were depending on her. And now, the tables have been turned. She's in need. She's depending on you. So give her a return, Paul says, for her investment in you. And there's yet another reason in verse 4 why it's a good idea for families to step up and do this. And he says, it pleases God. It pleases God. If, if you knew you could do one thing that was guaranteed to please God, would you want to do it? Of course you would. Of course you would. You want to please God. And this does. Paul says it pleases God when an adult child steps up and takes care of his or her widowed mother. Now, Paul goes on to show us the flip side of the coin in verse 8. says some startling things. He says, if someone won't provide for a family member in need, he has denied the faith. Strong statement. How can he say that? Well, it's because faith needs to be expressed in action. Faith that isn't expressed in action is no faith at all. Uh, Paul wants to show us here that our faith is to be more than an intellectual thing, that it needs to show up in our lives. If we're not willing to live it out, we probably don't really believe it. So we affirm or deny our faith daily by how we live our lives. And that's why Paul can say that failing to provide for our family is a denial of the faith, verse 8. 
It's also why he can say in verse 12 that widows who don't follow through on their commitments to the church have abandoned their faith. More on that one in a moment. It's such a serious thing, Paul says, that not to meet the needs of your relatives, get this, makes you worse than an unbeliever. How can that be? Well, unbelievers took care of their widows. Christians should at least rise to that standard. And when Christians don't rise to that standard, it adds hypocrisy to the mix. Unbelievers were at least consistent, believing, or behaving like unbelievers. Christians are supposed to live like Christians. And when Christians live like unbelievers, while claiming the name of Christ, they're worse than unbelievers who don't claim any faith at all. So the first parameter that Paul gives us is genuine need. To qualify for assistance, Paul tells Timothy, a widow can't have family who could be meeting her needs. If a widow has no family, though, she still needs to meet some specific qualifications, and we find those in verses 9 to 15. So let's take a look at the qualifications. Let's look first at verses 9 and 10. Paul says, let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, has devoted herself to every good work. A few qualifications. First age, she needs to be at least 60 years old. She needs to be old enough to qualify for the senior discount at Denny's. Just want to make sure you're still with me here. In other words, she's not likely to remarry at that point in life. Younger widows were more likely to remarry. Another qualification has to do with her character. Uh, in verse 9, it says uh, she needs to have been faithful to her husband while he was living. It's an interesting phrase. Looks a little familiar since we've been through chapter 3. She needs to be a one-man kind of woman. Does that sound familiar? Remember chapter 3 in the, in the qualifications for elder and deacon? They need to be a one-woman kind of man. So now those character qualifications are applying to the widows here as well. Then verse 10 speaks of her character shown in action through her own relationship with her own family and her relationship with the church family. And so he gives some examples in verse 10. Has she, for instance, brought up children, demonstrating her faithfulness in the home? Again, a familiar theme since we've looked at the qualifications for leaders. They need to demonstrate their faithfulness first at home. Has she shown hospitality? This, too, is a character quality required of elders. And itinerant preachers needed people who would show hospitality as they traveled around. Does she have a servant's heart? Has, has she washed the feet of the saints? Has she engaged in humble service? Uh, has she cared for the afflicted? Likely talking about persecuted fellow believers. Has she devoted herself to every good work? The bar is high to qualify for this list of widows. It's a high standard. Not everyone meets it. So what happens when someone doesn't? What happens when someone, a widow, has a genuine need but doesn't meet those qualifications? Well, 
they wouldn't be enrolled in this list of widows. A special category for a special group of people. And we'll look in a moment at some of the things that would be expected of them if they were enrolled in that list. There would be other ways in the church they could get some help, but they wouldn't be in this category on this list. Now, in verses 11 to 15, Paul gives us the flip side. He talks about who doesn't qualify. Take a look at 11 to 15. Paul says, But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. So besides those who have family, Paul speaks here about those who may be tempted to make a pledge to the church body, and then renege on the pledge. Younger widows, often widows of young soldiers, were in that position. Uh, Young, eligible, having taken a pledge. If you're into the sound of music, think about uh, the young, lovely, novice nun Maria, who uh, makes... Uh, A pledge, takes a vow, wants to be a good nun, but then meets the dashing Captain Von Trapp. Or not. Okay, just wanted to see if you're still with me there. All right, back to the first century. Inclusion on the list of widows would likely imply a pledge to serve in the church body and not to remarry. Younger widows might be inclined to sign up and make that pledge and then decide to go back on their pledge when they found someone they want to marry. So Paul says in verse 11, don't have them make the pledge. Don't have them enrolled on the list. So those are the parameters, a genuine need and then some specific requirements, some specific qualifications. Are there expectations then for the widow? Does she have a role once she's signed on to this? I believe there are expectations and we find them in verses 5 to 7. Look at verses 5 to 7. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they might be without reproach. So some expectations of the widow that go along with the assistance that's given. And one expectation was prayer. And we're talking about prayer as a ministry here. An older widow may think she's got nothing to contribute to the cause of Christ. But the ministry of prayer is vital. It's important. Spurgeon called the prayer room in his church the boiler room. Because he said that's where uh, the power in the church lies. Uh, The boiler room provides the power for everything that goes on in the ministry. I'm delighted to see that that little pink insert in your program this morning about uh, 
prayer before the service. And I hope many of you will be able to come next week and, and begin to pray together for the worship service uh, before the service begins. So prayer, vitally important. We need prayer warriors. They're essential to the life and ministry of the church. And whatever else a widow couldn't do, she could meet real needs through a ministry of prayer. She could be a real help. It was a ripe old widow named Anna. You'll remember from the birth narratives of Jesus. She's called a prophetess in Luke chapter 2. It says there that she engaged in the ministry of prayer. It says she worshiped with fasting and prayer night and day. That was her ministry. And she was the one who recognized the baby Jesus in the temple as the Messiah. Prayer, ministry of prayer. Another expectation would be that this widow would live above reproach. Another qualification for leaders in the church. Uh, we saw in verses 11 to 15 the dangers of those who want, to help, who want help for the wrong reasons. Verse 6 speaks of self-indulgence. And so support from the church could enable somebody to be irresponsible with the church's money. James chapter 4 verse 3 talks about that inclination in all of us when he says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. There's an inclination in all of us to, to misapply uh, things that we have been given. And we don't want to support a lifestyle that doesn't honor God. Rather, we want to support people with genuine need who won't bring reproach on the ministry. So that's the idea there. Now, Timothy, as we noted earlier, had a lot of widows in the church there at Ephesus who needed help. He had so many of them that the church couldn't support them all. And that specific challenge isn't one that we have today. We do have widows. We want to make sure that they're well taken care of. But the need today, the enormity of it, is nowhere near what Timothy was experiencing. We do face other needs around us, though. And like the church at Ephesus, we have to exercise both compassion and wisdom as we relate and respond to those needs. Compassion, because we don't want to miss an opportunity for ministry. Wisdom, because we don't want to be foolish with the resources God has entrusted to our care. So how do we decide? When someone comes up to you on the street and asks you for money, how do you decide? When somebody comes by the church office and asks us for money, how do we decide? Well, I think the principles Paul lays out for Timothy will help us. First, genuine need. Is there family around that could meet the need that's being presented to us? Or are there other organizations around us that are better equipped to meet the need than we are? Some organizations are specifically designed to work with people in physical need. Our church in Wausau used to support the Salvation Army as a line item in our budget. And when someone came to us for help, we would say, you know, we're not equipped to do that, but we support Salvation Army. Have you talked to them? I knew the captain well. I knew his heart for the Lord. I knew he preached the gospel. And I knew that his organization was set up specifically to work in that area. 
The captain showed me once the screening process that they used at the Salvation Army. And what that told me was that if they turned somebody down for assistance, there was a good reason why. And if someone came to me and I suggested going there, and they said, oh yeah, I went there, and they wouldn't help me, I knew that something was up. So we want to be both compassionate and wise. We want to be sure that there's a genuine need. But I think also we can, we can suggest some specific qualifications as well. Think about this. Timothy knew the widows in his congregation. He knew them personally. And ideally for us, it would be helpful for us to know the person that is asking us for help. It would be helpful if, if there was a relationship with that individual so the truthfulness of their request could be verified and so that we could provide more than just money. I really think it shows God's genius when he says that the first priority for us is to meet the needs of fellow believers in the church. These are people we know. These are people we can provide help for in a broader way. That's what makes the -the on-the-street request that we sometimes get as individuals difficult. We don't know them. That's what makes the -the at-the-church-office request difficult. We don't know them. There's no opportunity to verify much of anything. The need is presented as immediate No time to verify anything. And Jesus said we need to be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. People who want to use our money to indulge themselves aren't people we should be investing in. Like the younger widows of Timothy's situation, we need to encourage them to do what is right. That likely won't make us very popular with them in the moment. But we're interested in meeting real needs not in supporting bad habits. Again, compassion with wisdom. It's not unreasonable, too, to suggest some expectations. If there were some tasks around the building and grounds that needed to be done, it might be reasonable to ask someone receiving help to do some of them. It might be wise for us to have a list of things that could be done in return for uh, some aid or assistance. Uh, It would also be a reasonable expectation that the person receiving help would sit down and meet with somebody to discuss the bigger situation, their employment, uh, their housing, their budgeting, those sorts of things. So there's so much more that could be said and much more that could be done as well. But I I do hope that these simple parameters drawn from 1 Timothy regarding helping needy widows can help us when we're asked to meet a specific need. You'll find some questions for further thought in your program. My prayer is that God will be glorified as we respond to needs with compassion and wisdom. Would you bow in prayer with me? Father, you are the fountainhead of compassion and wisdom. In wisdom, you laid out the plan of salvation even before we fell into sin. And with great compassion, you met us at the point of our need, even when we weren't interested in you. 
So Father, I pray that our response to the needs around us would be full of compassion and wisdom as well. All for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.